0: Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, my dear friend Gavin Peacock. Gavin is a pastor at Calvary Grace Church in Calgary, Alberta, in Canada, and he's also the Director of International Outreach for the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. He's the co-author of four books. He's a former Premier League captain and football player, uh, but most importantly, he knows Jesus Christ as his Savior, and he is in ministry. Uh, Gavin, welcome back to City of God.
1: Thanks, Owen. Good to be back.
0: You are, I think, the most uh, most featured guest in City of God's long and illustrious history. How does that make you feel?
1: Oh, wow. I think it's the greatest of my honors so far in the, in my career. So uh, <laughs> uh, To be on City of God, great, great, uh, great caption as well.
0: I like it. A hundred thousand people watching you at Wembley, beating Man U, um, traveling the world, and yet it being, com- yeah, it doesn't compare. Being doesn't on City compare. of God. That's right. <laughs> so, Gavin, a, a few years ago, you and I did a podcast on killing sin at the level of desire. Uh, that mm-hmm. came out of our shared work at CBMW and then our book, The Grand Design, that we published in 2016 together with Christian Focus. And w- we were kicking around this idea. It didn't originate with us, of course. It's, it's scriptural, uh, and then different... Voices in the Christian tradition have talked about sin at the level of desire. But in in recent decades, in recent years in the evangelical movement, sin has been understood more at the level of action, more more as you know, a a behavior that you do. And, And you and I, putting our heads together and again trying to dive back into scripture as best we humbly can, argued in Grand Design and then in some other content that you should kill sin at the level of desire. We saw a really strong response to a podcast we did. I think it was in 2017. I don't even know if it's still playing uh, on my website, but we saw a really strong response to killing sin at the level of desire. And I know you've had numerous guys you minister to at the church in Calgary respond to killing sin, not just, again, as a behavior, but at the level of desire. What have you seen when you've shared this material over the years with, in particular, young men?
1: Mm. Well, I, I, I've seen a, a, a great level of, uh, if I could put it like this, a pastoral success, or um, in another way, you know, a, a success in uh, in the Christian life in terms of victory over sin, because mm-hmm. it's all been about identifying. Uh, where sin originates, uh, how it works, and, and then where to slay it, and I think in the church over recent times, uh, because we've we've moved away from a, a true understanding of of sin, of original sin. Um, of how it works, we've failed to locate the source, and therefore we're not killing it at its root. We might be uh, trimming things off of the fruit, but not killing it at its root, so Mm -hmm. that you get the the common phraseology, you know, I I, I struggle with lust, as if, you know, that's just part of me, and I'm just in this constant semi-defeated state. Yeah, because you're not actually... Dealing with it at its root level, at the impulse, at the at, at, at the desire level, and then the flip side of that is realizing that that the gospel does make us new creations. We are uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and now as uh, men and, and women redeemed in Christ, we do have the power to to slay uh, sin at its root. We're not talking about Christian perfectionism here, but we are talking about um, Christians living uh with some ability of, of of victory so that we we're not going around as as uh labeling ourselves as lustful christians but as but as christian uh who yes we all experience uh sin and and fight sin but we're fighting and we're fighting at the right location and with the right weapons
0: I I think that's very well said years ago I heard of a church renaming their retreats we're going on a retreat you know you hear churches say mm-hmm. and, and they called mm-hmm. it an advance. We're going on an advance and uh, that that is the kind of language shift that reflects a shift in mentality I think in a in a helpful direction. I don't think it's sinful or something to call a retreat a retreat. nonetheless, we are used to describing our struggle with sin, as you just said uh, as as a, an expression of our brokenness. And mm-hmm. it is true, as you said, that we all battle sin. We all do on a daily basis. We all have, mm-hmm. have much to repent of, and, and we, we gain an even bigger view of our sin, vision of our sin, as we go along in the Christian life. Um, nonetheless, the language we use to describe ourselves reflects how we are thinking about ourselves in a broader way. In other words, not just in the mm-hmm. moment, but in a broader way. And so if we say that we're broken— um, you know, we're thinking of a bruised reed, he shall not break from the prophets, these sorts of phrases. It, it, there, there's a truth there, but there also can be, definitely can't there, a mentality where we're effectively allowing ourselves to be broken. Do you think so?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, absolutely, yeah. Just seeing ourselves as as, as really as victims um, rather than seeing ourselves rightly, biblically speaking, yet there is a sense that, you know, we're all part of, of a, a fallen creation mm-hmm. but but we we are rebels against the holy god mm-hmm. um, and uh we justly deserve his punishment, and yet by his great grace he has uh provided uh, a, a perfect sacrifice in Christ, and that through repentance and faith in him, we are actually now a uh, new creations, so all of this is an you know there's big doctrines at stake there's the doctrine of sin the doctrine of uh, of man. And, and the whole doctrine of, of the gospel and sanctification and how it works out um in the christian life so we're not um and and the flavor of all of our books is not some kind of uh christian triumphalism uh as if to say you know oh it's all just a breeze now no there is a holy war going on but Yes. we've got to understand the war rightly we've got to understand the enemy rightly uh, and we've got to um understand the, the the powerful weapon we have not in our in of our ourselves but in Christ mm-hmm. Christ is sin is way more pervasive uh than we think and goes deeper than we think and Christ is way more powerful uh, than we think once we get that right as we outline in the books you know and uh, and alongside that this 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 clear doctrine of, of of sex and sexuality rooted in creation, um, people, Christians, can actually start having a right view of themselves before God, um, and actually have clear victory uh, in, the, in these areas. We, we're talking about lust here, but um, we also talk about homosexuality and transgenderism.
0: That's exactly right. You're alluding to this trilogy that we just published with Christian Focus, uh, you and I together. What does the Bible teach about mm-hmm. lust? What does the Bible teach about homosexuality? And what does the Bible teach about transgenderism? It's a a trilogy, as I say. Three short books, not aimed at scholars, uh, not aimed at the highest theological discussion level, but aimed at real flesh and blood Christians. In addition, we think that these three little books, short books, readable books, will serve pastors as well. Uh, they're a kind of grab-and-go resource. If you don't have uh, months and months you know, to read a 600-page tome out there on sex and sexuality, well, here are 130 pages uh, to dive you right into, as best we can pull it together, what the Bible teaches about uh, lust, homosexuality, and transgenderism. And the, the two burdens of the books that you just nicely brought out are really this. Number one, to take our sin- much more seriously and to see that sin sin attaches to us at several levels, the level of identity, thinking, desiring, and acting. Uh, the level of identity, thinking, desiring, and acting. We really focus a lot on the level of desiring because Scripture gives a lot of attention to that, Matthew 5. Twenty-one to thirty, for example, and then the second major contribution that that you bring out. I focus a little more in these three books on the the sin aspect, and and you focus more on union with Christ and how powerful the gospel is. So we're doing something, we're doing something intentional here in this trilogy. We're we're trying to say, uh, as you did a minute ago in a form, sin is worse than we think. It is not just once a week, you know, when when we raise our voice a little bit. We're never giving God the worship He deserves in a perfect form. There's no day uh, we give God perfect worship. So that's that's effectively the bad news. The good news, though, is that we're united to Jesus Christ Himself, and and that's impossibly empowering and strengthening. And that's really what you bring out in in these three texts, I, I think.
1: <clears throat> yes, absolutely. And and, and being united. Uh, to Christ also is a is then a call for us to act as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the Christian life is not passive uh, in the sense of that. You know yes we it's it's all of grace in terms of we 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 receive all from Christ, but uh, there is the, the 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 synergistic action of uh, what we must act now too. In in as new creations it's a it really is us, but it's a new us in Christ. Um, and uh, and I think what, what is very key then is that we're not just, quote unquote, struggling passively, really just accepting our sin as part. Well, that's just part of us now. It's no. Now we're in Christ. There's a, there's a responsibility act. We have the tools with which to, to act. Now we need to get about the business of uh, pursuing holiness. Uh, without which, you know, we will not see see the Lord in terms of a striving for it. Um, and I think that that kind of uh, is very important because I think in in recent times we we've, we've both noticed um, a sense that well, it's all of grace. We don't need to strive. We don't need to work out our salvation yes. with fear and trembling. Yet the Bible calls us very readily to do that. Um, and and I, I it's. Clear when you actually speak to Christians um, that there is a bit of a Christian passivity going on in the area of sanctification. What we lay out in, in, in the book is actually a very very theological but practically theological uh, help. Uh, we, we You lay out some great theological foundations. Um, uh, I bring in obviously how the gospel plays in. We have in each uh, of the books uh, uh, an illustration in a narrative uh, a testimony mm. uh, from mm. people in each of the books that 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 I've passed um yes. and at the end we we deal with some frequently asked questions so it's quite a, for for small books they they're quite comprehensive very accessible uh, and they pack a punch
0: they do, and they represent uh, a different understanding of these three issues, of the issue, I think we could say it most broadly, of porneia in the Greek, from, from the Greek mm-hmm. New Testament, sexual sin, uh, which in many cases in the New Testament isn't exactly defined. It doesn't always have this sharpness to it. It It is intended, it's used on purpose to refer to a broad category of sexual sin that I think, that I argue, we argue together, you could call pagan. In other words, this isn't according to God's creation and God's design. Therefore, per Romans 126, it doesn't correspond to phusis in the Greek, nature. It is that which is unnatural. It is that which is fleshly. It does not correspond to male-female sexual relationship in marriage, covenantal sexual relationships. It, it is outside of that. It is, it is what is unnatural. So there's many things, actually, that are unnatural. It is unnatural for a man to pursue many women sexually, just as it is unnatural uh, to engage in homosexual sex or even desire it, just as it is unnatural to cross-dress. And so what we are saying in our trilogy is that this is a different understanding of godly sexuality and ungodly sexuality, and we're arguing, and I want to see what you think about this, we're arguing that if you don't address sexuality in these terms at the level of identity, thinking, feeling, and acting, you end up unwittingly, though you may say you have this great gospel and and you're trying to ground yourself in the gospel, you may unwittingly end up with what we call a half gospel that, yes, saves you to the degree that you have the name Christian, but if you're not careful, again, you actually end up merging your identity and thus your activity with paganism, with ungodliness.
1: Mm-hmm. And hence the, ter- you know, oh, I'm just a lustful Christian, oh, gay Christian, uh, LGBT Christian. Yes. N- no, you're not. If you're saved, you're a Christian. Uh, you don't then define yourself uh, by sin for which Christ died. Um, and, 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 and so it's very important to 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 lay out God's pattern. So this then, thinking back to the grand design, and we kind of had this blueprint of, of God's complementarian pattern. Pattern and design for the sexes. If you don't have a robust complementarian understanding of the sexes, both created in the image of God, equal yet different in terms of the physicality and 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 their roles uh, with one another. If you don't have that laid out, rooted in nature, rooted in creation, it's very easy uh, then to then to drift and to begin to accept what is pagan sexuality in incremental. Amounts as we've seen, our uh, society in particular, but not just the, the society in general, but but the church really, really drifted on these things. Um, and what we're we're saying is, get right God's blueprint, get right God's pattern. And if God says it's wrong, then it's wrong to desire it, mm-hmm. right? So if God says, and if God says it's right, it's right to desire it. So then our our desires, our impulses, are not uh, neutral they're good or bad, but what, do you, what defines whether they're morally good or bad is the end of those desires, mm-hmm. uh, the goal of those desires. If it's for something that God says is good, then they're good and right desires. If it's for something that God says is evil, then they are evil desires, which must be put to death. But if you don't have the blueprint laid out properly, uh, you're going to be confused as to what is good and what is bad desire.
0: That's right, and you have to go back, therefore, to the creational design, as you just said, you have to understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Um, you have to understand in Genesis 1 and 2 that God is giving us creation order. He's laying out the way things should be. That is ruined in Genesis 3, and yet also creation order in in the giving of the curses is upheld. But then as we try to lay out, we're not just returning to Eden in the gospel, in the name of Jesus Christ by the blood of Christ through the resurrection of of Christ faith in these realities we're actually becoming new covenant creations as you've said several times we're a new creation in Christ which is you know keying off of that biblical theology of creation and new creation 2 Corinthians 5, 17. so we're 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 living into not simply adamic reality what we're created for originally way back when we're now, in Christ, becoming part of what God was always driving things to be in his Son. But again, we compromise all that if, if we don't lay hold of these biblical realities, and especially going back to that design. Gavin, when you, when you share this material—we have a bunch of concepts on the, on the table here. We have just a few more minutes in this podcast—when uh, you share this with people— in a counseling session, a discipleship session, a men's training session, you speak all over the world about these things. How would you? Of course, there's going to be a lot of responses, but how do people respond to this material? Are you seeing men, for example, you counsel, uh, end up going away from your counseling sessions where you lay out that sin is not just action, but it's desire uh, and, and and in a broader form? Are, are they going away depressed, or are they going away <clears throat> encouraged in Christ? What what would you say?
1: I, I think generally, uh, encouraged in Christ as a, as the bottom line. Um, and, and, and it's, it's important to say that, you know, what we talk about, uh, repenting of, of, of desire of, of these impulses, whether they are invited or uninvited. Yes. So, so a lot of people are saying, well, you know, if I start lusting after uh, a member of the opposite sex, um, then, yes, I I, and I start following that on in my mind. Um, I need to repent of that. Um, but we say, no, if you have an uninvited impulse, that's something that just, it's not premeditated, it just comes up in you in a, in a moment. You must recognize that as sinful, and you must repent of it there and then. That's right. In that way, you really are severing it at its root. Um, some guys, are, uh, uh, and obviously uh, women, this is not a, Lust—if we're talking about just lust here—is not uh, an, an issue that's just for for guys at all. Right? Um, are very surprised at that. They're very surprised at that. Well, that—and—and and some will say that's really defeating because I can't help it. And yet, what we're saying is, no, this is where it's actually you win the battle because you're killing it at its root. Um, and we're yes. we're also saying, and what we're talking about here is this is the way sin works in general. So I'm not coming alongside you as the counselor, counseling you for your lust problem, as someone who's out to make you feel so bad about yourself that you have no power. I'm actually saying, listen, I'm more like you than, than you realize, because I'm battling all sorts of sins, uh, anger, envy, uh, anything like that. These impulses can rise up at any time. And if I only repent of them when I start thinking about them, or if I've acted out on them, then I'm not killing at its root. But if I start repenting as soon as the impulse comes up, boy, now we're really dealing. With, I love to, I love to use sporting illustrations. Owen, oh, as you know, um, I love. I, I'll, I'll start with soccer, uh, but you can, you can relate it to. to any sport. And I talk to, to people and say, it's like when you're practicing soccer and and someone passes you the ball in practice and you practice turning with the ball to your right, to your right, to your right. You do that drill, you know, 20 times, and then you do it to the left, to the left. And you can, you know, you you can use those examples with basketball or, or hockey or whatever. I said, but you're doing it in practice so that when you come to match day, it just becomes second nature to you to turn. And, and of course, now we're talking about repentance in terms of turning repentance. You train yourself. One guy said to me, um, you know, I was really struck by that uh, approach to, to sin, because what but what I've been actually doing is allowing for the uninvited impulses just to sit there and really just accepting that that was part of my identity. Mm. He said, when I realized, no... Is uh, not part of my identity as a Christian in Christ that I must turn there and then. I started to have real victory in that area, and uh, uh, and that was uh, just a wonderful thing to hear in terms of the practical outworking of, of the council.
0: That's right. This is, this is not ultimately a defeatist reality. This is flowing out, as we said earlier, of Matthew 5, 21 to 30. You think of how natural it comes to us, for example, in our sinful state to have a flash of anger. That is, we're not talking about righteous anger. We're not talking about Jesus in the temple. We're talking about a flash of anger that isn't going to go any good place. It's not actually going to resolve a situation. It's going to be gas on the fire. Um, Jesus is calling out that kind of flash of anger in Matthew 5, 21 to 30. The one who says, you fool and and hates them and and, and murders his brother in his mind, not necessarily with his hands, but even just in his heart and his mind has committed murder, Jesus says. So he's escalating uh, an important theological word. He's escalating the the Ten Commandment principle of thou shalt not murder, and he's making it not simply a matter of action— but a matter of the heart and of the mind. And, and so when we have a flash of anger that is unrighteous, we know as Christians, honestly, through the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit in all of us, we know that's not right. And and we know we shouldn't excuse it. We may still try. Well, what we are trying to say in this trilogy is that sexual sin is no different. There's not a separate category. If you have so-called gender dysphoric desires, if, or if you have same-sex attraction, and these are real things that we face and we must battle in this fallen world. Certain people do have these struggles. Those are real issues. Those are real challenges. But we must not see them in fundamentally psychotherapeutic terms or in psychological terms, uh, matters uh, you know, simply to kind of uh, address at the level of, uh, of behavior. We must address these matters in theological terms and in moral terms, and we have to call, as you said rightly, even uninvited impulses that are not directed to godly ends, sinful. We must call it that way. That's actually the moment of of liberation, isn't it?
1: Indeed. Uh, And we've, you know, we've, in the last 20, 30 years, a bit of a bourgeoisie Christianity You know, an easy come, easy go Christianity, Mm. Uh, uh, Christianity without the cross. Mm. Um, And so that when we when we experience suffering or or, or discomfort, um, it's like, well, this is, you know, we could put it this way. Reformed theologians would say, um, well, we're not, you know, we're not part of the prosperity gospel. But but yet if we look at modern day Christianity and evangelicalism, is more prosperity gospel in our blood than we actually realize. We want an easy life, an easy road, not not a not a narrow way. Uh, and and of course suffering is part of that, but also battling, fighting against sin. Uh, the Christian life is a life of repentance as as Martin Luther said. Yes. And and that's not an easy thing. Uh and yet it's a, at the same time a glorious thing. Uh it's like training uh, again in sport. It hurts. Yes. But of course, the end is that you're fit. Uh, and this is a this is a spiritual training that we're engaging in here uh, for a spiritual fitness. Uh, there's a pain involved, but there's a glorious pain because we know the end is, is good. The end is is holiness and more Christ likeness. If we're relying on uh, yes. our performance and, and us looking good, then we yeah, we will find it. We will find it difficult to keep repenting, but if we are wanting more of Christ and and seeing the glory of the gospel, the more we see of our sin, the greater we see the cross.
0: That's right, that's right and and this is how we see as we wrap up here, this is how we see that this isn't a separate super stringent calling for a certain kind of of believer or someone who has a certain sin pattern. M- make no mistake. some people are in all-out rebellion against God and that manifests in particularly awful ways. And throughout Scripture, Old and New Covenant is condemned in the strongest possible terms. We think of abomination, toba, for example, in the Hebrew. Uh, we think of Romans 1 indicating that same-sex behavior is especially uh, uh, displaying depravity and, and signaling rejection of God's, not only God's will, but God's design. Nonetheless, when you embrace killing sin at the level of desire, at the level of impulse, as you have been saying so well here, what ends up happening is not that you point fingers at other people. Ultimately, you try to help sinners of every kind, including those trapped in sexual sin, including those uh, urged to see their sexual sin patterns as a good part of their identity. You're helping them, but you also turn your focus on yourself and you see, wait, this isn't some Special calling for for certain people out there whose sin is especially wicked. This is my calling. I have to kill sin at the level of desire, and and this is where I, I think we see that that this is liberation. This is this is painful, as you say. This is like training. It's not easy. But who said? Whoever said the Christian life was supposed no. to be easy? It's actually supposed to be the opposite. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Well said. Well, Gavin, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We're going to continue the conversation. Uh, Really appreciate your work here, uh, Clarion Words, counsel, um, contribution to the, the trilogy. What does the Bible teach about lust? What does the Bible teach about homosexuality? What does the Bible teach about transgenderism? Out now with Christian Focus. Thank you for coming on today, Gavin.
1: Thanks, Ellie. Great stuff.
0: Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God and the city of man.